Welcome once again to uh, All Nations. Thank you guys for joining us today. Um, all right, I'm going to open up with something that has nothing to do with the sermon. But um, I don't know about y'all, but uh, last night I had a dream that was too good to be true. I had a dream that was too good to be true. It was so weird. Um, so to give you guys a little bit of context, uh, Pastor DC did share with you guys that uh, uh, he and I, we were at Calvin Seminary in Grand Rapids, Michigan for eight days. Uh, we flew out last Sunday night on a red eye. No, no, week, two Sunday nights ago. Wow, that's crazy. On a red eye, got there on Monday, spent eight days. We were in lecture for six hours a day, all that stuff. We came back this Tuesday night. Um, at midnight, midnight, and so we're just exhausted, uh, East Coast, West Coast time, all of that stuff. I'm behind on work and ministry, and so I had a really packed week. On top of that, uh, my wife was sick, and so uh, please continue to pray for her. She has an upper respiratory uh, infection, and so she's been coughing uh, like she's been a chain smoker for like 30 years, but she hasn't. She, she's not a smoker at all, but I, like, I hear her from next door, and that, that cough is deep and crazy, uh, so that's been really tough for, for us. And, uh, uh, but if you've been praying for her, that's been awesome. Uh, and then this Friday was my birthday, but didn't do anything. No big deal. 37, like whatever. Uh, oh, fives and zeros. If it doesn't end in a five and a zero, it's no big deal. And as you get older, it's, it's zero. Um, so crazy, crazy week. On top of that, I'm preaching on generosity. I'm up, you know, and, and I just had a lot of stress and anxiety about preaching on uh, this topic. And I didn't feel as prepared uh, for the sermon. So last night I go to sleep and I have this crazy dream. Okay, uh, I'm stressed about the message. I feel underprepared. And then DC comes into the room and DC looks at me and I'm like, dude, I'm dead. Right. And he's like, Mike, I got you. I got you. I have a sermon on generosity and I, and I can preach it tomorrow. I can preach it tomorrow. I just need to touch it up for about an hour and we'll be good to go. And then we even looked at the manuscript and the outline. I remember what he was going to preach on. He was going to preach on the Christian worldview and how the kingship of Jesus relates to our stewardship. And, our, and I was like, dude, DC, that's going to be awesome. And in the dream, I experienced, you know, the Bible talks about that peace that transcends all understanding. I felt that peace. And so I was like, oh. DC is going to preach. And then I woke up this morning, and I was like, where's DC? And and I realized he's not going to preach for me. I have to preach. Uh, And it was was so weird. It was too good to be true. And and then I woke up stressed, and I was like, here we go. But it it was weird. It was the weirdest dream I've ever had. Um, As a pastor, um, I've only had nightmares about church, and I've only had nightmares about ministry. Uh, I've never had any other kind, no clowns, no dying, no nothing weird, only church stuff. Uh, but uh, that's, I guess it's a blessing, the mind of Christ. Um, that's not to say I'm not looking forward to today's sermon. I, I really am. I really do believe God has a, an important, uh, beautiful transformative word for us today. And so if you have your Bibles, please turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 to 15. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 to 15. I'll give you guys a second to turn there. And if you don't have your Bibles, uh, the words are also going to go up on the screen. May God bless the reading of his holy. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. 
As it is written, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Amen. The word of the Lord. And um, yeah, one cool note. Paul was so excited and moved and amped about the idea of the Corinthians demonstrating generosity and stewardship uh, towards uh, this, this church in Jerusalem that he introduced, he actually made up a new word. And so nowhere in uh, the Bible is uh, this word for inexpressible gift, right? Uh, it's actually a new Greek word that he literally just made up because uh, he just didn't have words to describe his feelings, his excitement and his joy, and so he kind of uh, made that up, and that was, that was pretty sweet. And that just describes Paul's heart for the Corinthian church as he thought about them demonstrating generosity. Now, uh, we are in the midst of a uh, series on gospel generosity. Our education pastor, Peter Moon, he preached last week on uh, being generous with our time, generous with our energy, generous as servants of God. And, and I heard that was a powerful, amazing message. I was a little anxious. I was like, if he does a better job than me, then maybe our church will want him and not me. And, and uh, I think he did just, no, he, he crushed it. He crushed it. Um, but he went long, I heard. And so that that's never good for us. Um, but yeah, he kicked off the series, Generosity and Service, and, and I hope that did mobilize some of us to really consider how we use our time, how we use our, our gifts and, and, and our talents for the Lord, for the good and benefit of others. And now uh, this series is in conjunction with a uh, generosity campaign. And so All Nations, uh, Unity Church, our, our mother church, the Korean congregation, uh, they are simultaneously going through a, a campaign uh, to collect donations, uh, to really encourage generosity, financial generosity, and, and, and marshal our resources for the purpose of being a good neighbor, okay? Uh, over and over again at our church, we talk about being a church for the community, Okay, being a church for the community. A lot of times, immigrant churches, we end up being churches in communities, okay? And so it's like, why did we come here to Sunland? It's not even because so many of us live here. There's only a small fraction of, of our members uh, from both congregations that live in Sunland and uh, Pacoima, right, or Tahunga. And so we're like, why are we here? And a lot of times it's like, because this was the only property that we could buy or we got the best bang for our buck. And, and a lot of times, immigrant churches just end up being in a city, in a community, but not really aware and intentional of being a blessing to the community, okay? There's other kind of churches. They're neighborhood churches. They're called uh, churches of the community, okay? Churches of the community. And so literally, it's just people who live nearby, right, who have similar values, maybe similar ethnicities, right? And they just have gathered together because it's local, because it's close. And so they are a church of the community. Now that seems good, but a lot of times in, they're only coming together for their own agendas. 
They're only coming together out of their own convenience, okay? But there's a third way to do church, and I believe that this is a kingdom-minded, missional way, and it's to be a church for the community. It's to realize that God has placed us here with a sovereign intention, with a mission to be a blessing to our neighbors, okay? And we, as a, as a, uh, as a partnering church, Unity and All Nations Community Church, we really want to, like, live that out. We really want to develop that. And so this gospel generosity campaign is to raise money and, and donate 100% of the proceeds to local nonprofits, okay? Uh, I firmly believe that all of our mission work, it doesn't have to run through us, okay? Uh, it doesn't have to run through the organization or the empire of all nations, okay? A lot of times we can partner with local ministries, local nonprofits, local organizations that are doing amazing things for the poor, right, for children, for the community, right, for its citizens, and we can affirm them, we can encourage them, we can acknowledge them and support them, whether it's through our time, whether it's through our service, and for this campaign, it's through financial resources, and so that's what this is all about. Uh, there, there's, no, um, there's no strings attached. There's no hidden agenda. We're like, oh, we'll give you this money, but you have to come to our church for eight weeks. No, nothing like that at all. Uh, this is just literally us wanting to be a church for the community, acknowledging some amazing organizations that are doing uh, just beautiful, significant things to develop the flourishing of this community. Uh, some of the organizations are going to be Christian. Okay, some of the organizations are going to be Christian. Others may not be. Others may not be. But we really do believe in something called common grace. Common grace where God really works for the good and the flourishing of all people. Okay, of all people. And so uh, we hope that you guys would consider that. I think there are some envelopes. And we'll have more instructions. Um, our goal as a, as a congregation is uh, it's actually just to raise, not just, or to raise $5,000. Okay, we'd love to raise $5,000. Our council has a, a, a greenlit, a matching gift of $5,000 to whatever our, our, our contributions can be. And uh, personally for me as a pastor, I'm not trying to get like the big checks and, and go crazy with the money. Uh, I really am praying for engagement, okay? Um, I'm sure there are some well-to-do people here that are like, $5,000, that's nothing. That's, that's true. I mean, it's, you know, it's much. Yeah, anyways, so, so in the big picture, it's not a huge amount, okay? But my desire is to see, I would love for 200 people in our church to give $25. All right, 200 people of our church give $25, and that just shows that we're all in this together. That gets us to 5000 and it will be a blessing uh, to our local partners. If we break that, if you're like, dude, I'm going to crush that. I'm going to give 5000 myself. Bless you. Praise God, right? Uh, but I hope that that's not a one-person agenda, I would love to see us as a congregation, us as a family, us as a people realize that, hey, let's do this together. Let's all be engaged. Let's all be missional in this way. Let's, let's lean into this calling that Jesus has given us to be a church for the community. Now, um, I know that for so many of you guys, like hearing sermons on money, it's like a huge turnoff, okay? It's not your favorite topic, okay? Um, I have a confession. My nightmare right, revealed my cards, it is not my favorite topic to preach on either, okay, you don't want to hear about money, I don't want to preach on money, right, um, but uh, Tim Keller, a, a writer and a former pastor in New York, he makes a great argument on why we need to talk about it, why the church needs to address money far more than what we normally do, far more than what we're comfortable doing, and the first reason is this, uh, so many of your problems, so many of your concerns, 
revolves around money. Does it not? Does it not? I mean, uh, my family experienced bankruptcy, and I never saw my father and mother so stressed, so worried, so depressed in my life, right? Why? Because of money, right? we, We had so much conflict in our family because of money, so much guilt, right, and anguish because of money, okay? So it's artificial, It's synthetic for us to just kind of like ignore it and say, oh, let's just not talk about it too much in the church. Brothers and sisters, if we really believe that Jesus is Lord of all, if we believe that God wants to renew our entire lives and and Jesus wants to direct all of our steps, not just kind of for an hour and 15 minutes on Sunday or when you're in a small group or going on a mission trip, but our entire lives, we want to see Jesus leading and lording, then money needs to be part of that conversation, right? We need to be aware of that. The second reason why we need to talk about money is because Jesus and the Bible talks about money all the time. Jesus gave 38 parables, 38 parables throughout the Gospels. You know how many of those parables were about money? 16, okay? 16 of Jesus' 38 parables revolved around money and our possessions, okay? Uh, The Bible offers 500 verses or so on prayer, 500 verses on faith, right? As important as faith is, 500 verses. I talk about faith. Uh, More than 2,000 verses address money and possessions in the Bible, okay? Seems about right, okay? You guys are thinking about money way more than you're thinking about, you know, the Bible and the church, right? Uh, And so it makes sense for the Bible then to get into that space, to get into the areas that matter so much for your life, for your family, your career, your security, The Bible wants to get in there. And so Tim Keller concludes, he says, there can be no significant spiritual growth in your life unless you put your money and your attitude towards money into God's hands, okay? If you want to experience the fullness of Jesus and the gospel working in your life, we need to get our money. We need to get our attitude and our posture towards money into God's hands, that's what I want for my family. That's what I want for our church. That's what God wants for us. We're looking at one of the most famous passages in the New Testament, and it's on the topic of money and generosity. And from this passage, we get that famous phrase, God loves a cheerful giver. God loves a cheerful giver. The title of today's message is Generosity from Grace. Generosity from Grace. And we're going to see three things. Okay? First, we're going to look at the fruit of generosity. Okay, what comes from generosity? Number two, we're going to look at the challenge of generosity. Why is it hard? And number three, finally, we're going to look at the expression of generosity. What does that look like? So the fruit of it, the challenge of it, right? And finally, the expression of generosity. Now, in our passage today, Paul's writing to the Corinthians, okay? First Corinthians was a rebuke. Because Corinthians, the, current, the church in Corinth, they're like a church gone wild with a lot of like sexual immorality, all these issues. So Paul rebukes them. In 2 Corinthians, actually, there's a lot of affection because the Corinthians had repented. Right? They'd been restored in the gospel. They had confessed their sin. They turned, and Paul was just so excited about them. He was so grateful that they had experienced this kind of renewal and repentance. Okay, And so the context of this letter is now that there was a severe famine in Jerusalem, okay? There was a severe famine in Jerusalem, 
and it left the church there and Christians there in great hunger and in great need. You see, Jerusalem was still a Jewish-dominated city, and so Christians were persecuted there. Christians were outcast in the city, and so as a great famine had hit the land, the church is suffering, and Christians are suffering. And so what does Paul do? Paul goes on a writing tour. He goes on a traveling, missional tour to all these churches throughout Asia Minor, and he's raising funds, raising funds on the behalf of the Jerusalem Christians. So he goes to the Philippians, and they give generously. He goes to the Thessalonians. They respond with generosity. Even the poor Macedonians, and we're going to learn about them later, they give. They give generously for the Jerusalem Christians, and now Paul's writing for the Corinthians. Okay. Corinth was a wealthy city. A lot of the Christians in Corinth, they were wealthy believers. And Paul says, it's your turn. It's your turn to step up and do the same. And Paul uses this illustration of a farmer saying that whoever sows sparingly, right? And he's saying, like, if you're stingy with your sowing, right, then you will reap sparingly. But whoever sows bountifully, right, whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Now, um, Prosperity preachers, they love to use this verse. They love to use this passage as a way to manipulate people to give to the church. Okay? Um, I still remember the first time I saw a prosperity preacher by the name of Joel Olstein. Yeah, that's right. I'm dropping names. All right? Pastor Mike is throwing shade from the pulpit. Um, yeah, I was in college. I was in college, and uh, for some reason, I just turned on TBN, and uh, it was on, and this guy, Joel Olstein, this southern, slick, corporate-looking guy was talking, and he was a smooth talker, but he was talking on this passage, and he was talking about sowing your seeds, and he was like, you have to sow your seeds, and he was literally calling church offering seed money, seed money that, that, that we need to invest in faith, and saying that if you give your money to God in faith, if you invest that seed money into the kingdom, then he will bless you back. He will bless you 30, 60, 100 fold. And after his talk, there's like testimonials of people saying, I gave, I sowed a seed. I sowed a seed and, 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 and God got me out of debt. I sowed seeds of faith and, and I got a new job. I sowed seeds of faith and I got a house, right? My bills were paid and, and all of these things were going on. Well, this is a false gospel of health and wealth. Let me tell you something. Every commentary I read on this passage, on this topic, every theologian rejected the idea of equating sowing seeds for material gain. Okay? All the commentaries, they rejected this idea that we're sowing seeds to get rich and gain materially in our possessions. Yes, it's true that God blesses us with possessions and provisions. Okay? Every good and perfect gift comes from God. Yes, it's true. He makes some people rich. Abraham was a rich man. Job was a rich man. Everything got taken away. But you know what? At the end, what happens? God doubled, doubled his wealth, doubled his possessions, okay? King Solomon, rich, right? And so it is true that God makes some people rich. He blesses abundantly in material prosperity, but God's promise, in, in God's promise in 2 Corinthians 9, it's not to make all people rich if you just have enough faith to sow a lot of seeds, a lot of seeds into the pockets of Joel Olstein, a lot of seeds into the pockets of these prosperity preachers and these churches. In fact, Paul tells the Corinthians, you know what the fruit is going to be? 
He actually explains it in this passage. He actually describes what the benefit, what the fruit of generosity will be if you sow generously. And there's three main things that will happen. Okay, when we sow in faith, when we sow generously, three things will happen. And we see the first two in uh, verse 12. This is what Paul writes. He says, For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. Okay, those are the two things. The first thing that's going to happen is when you give generously, you're going to meet the needs of the saints. People who are hungry, people who are in destitution, people who are homeless, people who are naked, people who are oppressed, when you give generously to them, you'll meet their needs, right? You'll offer protection, you'll offer provision, and that is a good thing. That is a good thing. The second thing that's going to happen is those people who receive your, your, your generosity, those people who receive your, um, yeah, your contributions, they will give thanks to God. They will worship God. They will offer praise to God because they will understand that as we give this in the name of Jesus, as we give this as out of the overflowing love and joy that we have in the gospel, they will realize that God is providing for them through the ministry of the church. That God is meeting their needs through the hands and feet of the people of God. And they'll realize that God is working. God is providing. God is blessing them. Those are the first two things that happen, right? As we give, we're going to meet people's needs. And as we give, they're going to give glory to God, right? That should be enough motivation for us to give generously. But there's also a third thing, and it's found in verse 10, right? And Paul kind of uses this interesting phrase. He says that as we give and as we sow generously, God will increase the harvest of your righteousness. That sounds so weird right? Increase the harvest of your righteousness. Once again, this is not a promise that God will give us more stuff if we sow bountifully. He's not promising the Corinthians that he will give you more money if you just give a little money to other people or to God. The Bible never uses righteousness as a synonym for money, okay? So that's very important. When God says, I will increase the harvest of your righteousness, it doesn't mean my bank account is going to get bigger, Okay? Righteousness is not a synonym for money in the Bible. Righteousness is an attribute of God. And what God is telling us is that as you give, as you give freely, cheerfully, bountifully, he will give us the joy of himself. Paul is using this phrase, this increasing the harvest of their righteousness. Uh, it's actually from the prophets, uh, the prophet named Hosea in chapter 10, verse 12. And in this passage, Hosea, he's calling Israel back, back to obedience to God, back to godliness and back to righteousness. He says, stop living in sin, stop living in idolatry, stop living in worldliness, and, and go back to God in obedience and holiness and righteousness. Guys, this is the third fruit of God's people, for God's people, right? As we practice generosity for those in need, we get to be like God. Like God in his holiness, like God in his generosity, like God in his righteousness. And this is the benefit, right? This is a joy that God offers to us. Now, these three things, they seem simple, okay? That if we practice generosity, it benefits those who need it. It produces thanksgiving and worship to God. And then we receive the blessing of being godly 
and like God in our lives. It's straightforward and clear, but uh, the reality is this. Generosity is challenging. Generosity is challenging. It's, it's hard. Uh, I was doing a lot of research and statistics on giving. Um, the overall number of giving is up, and I think philanthropy is up because we have these like billionaires uh, like Mark Zuckerberg or Warren Buffett, and they're pledging mass amounts of money right, um, to philanthropy. Right? Uh, but the actual average giving per person is down. Okay? And so uh, we're actually giving less. There are fewer individuals and people giving less to charity and philanthropy. Uh, and it just shows that generosity is challenging right now. Uh, I think there's three reasons why uh, that I just want to share. Uh, first is this. Uh, we struggle with scarcity. Okay? We struggle with scarcity. Second, we struggle with motive. Third, we struggle with loss. Let me explain what I mean there. Uh, when it comes to giving, you've often heard that, man, we should give out of the overflow of our lives, right? We should give out of the abundance of what we have. The problem is, for many of us, especially our college students and our single adults, when it comes to our finances, we don't have overflow, right? We have underflow, right, if that's even a word, right? We don't have abundance, we don't have that much margin in our finances. We don't have that much extra to give. We are living paycheck to paycheck, struggling with credit card debt and school debt. We have car payments, rent, mortgages, right? Uh, I'm a father-to-be, and now I'm like, what are we going to do for childcare? My parents live in Atlanta. My wife's parents live in Orange County. We're on our own. I'm like, what is, what's going to happen? I need to just hire a bunch of college students to be my nannies. Uh, we'll see what happens. Uh, right? I don't make more money just because I have a kid. I don't think that happened for any of you guys, right? And so we are feeling, we live in scarcity. We live in scarcity, right? In, in economics, um, scarcity drives the market, okay? Scarcity drives the market. When there's plenty, right, when something's abundant, the price goes down. It's less valuable. When something is scarce and hard to find and precious, the price goes up, right? Brothers and sisters, that is not how God wants us to treat our resources, okay? That when we see our money as scarce, we hoard it and we clinch it and we grip it, right? That's not what God wants for us. He does not want us to be people driven by scarcity. In fact, biblical giving is always meant to be a joyful sacrifice of our resources. God understands scarcity. He understands economics, but he doesn't want us to simply give out of abundance. He doesn't want us to simply give out of excess or convenience, okay? There are times when we need to make room to be generous, when we need to make sacrifices to give to God, to support missionaries, to give to the needy, okay? Uh, Paul describes the Macedonian Christians in this way. They are a model for us. For those of you who are like, I am living in underabundance. I'm living in absolute scarcity. Uh, I hope the Macedonian testimony speaks to you. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, so 8 and 9, they're really connected because they're all part of this, this story of Paul collecting offerings for the Jerusalem church. This is what Paul writes. He says, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. So even generosity and giving, Paul describes it as a grace of God, that God is working there. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty 
have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. Extreme poverty. That's the Macedonian church. Severe affliction. Okay, That's the Macedonian church. If any church had a reason to just kind of tap out and be like, hey, uh, we can't really give much. Can we just volunteer? All right, can we just kind of show up and, 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 and maybe like, you know, with sweat equity, like really help? The, that would have been totally reasonable. We say that to college students all the time. We're like, oh, you can't give much, but at least set up the chairs, right? Or, you know, we, we kind of like belittle our college students because they're in like extreme poverty, poverty and whatnot. Um, that was the Macedonian church. I mean, and even Paul just had so much compassion for them. But what did they do? They earnestly begged. They said, we want to give. We're going to give according to our means. Some of us are going to give beyond our means, but we want to take part in the grace, in the joy, in the privilege of giving. Now, there are words of abundance and overflow here, but when Paul describes their abundance and their overflow, it is not about money, okay? So we need to get that out of our heads that, man, we're just going to give out of abundance. And if there's no abundance, no, 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 no. Where is the abundance in the Macedonian church? It's an abundance of joy. Abundance abundance of joy knowing the gospel. That they have now become sons and daughters of God. An abundance of joy because their, their names are written in the book of life. Abundance of joy that comes from the fact that they are set free from sin. They're no longer in condemnation. They are accepted and they are justified. That abundance of joy produces an overflowing wealth of generosity. Okay? That's what it is, guys. The overflow comes from the grace of God. The overflow comes from the benefits of the cross. The abundance lies in our relationship, our security, our identity in Jesus. That's where the overflow is. And so that's, that's so important for us as Christians. If you have Christ, if you know Jesus, there should be overflow and abundance. You may not see it in your bank account, but it's in your heart. It's in your attitude. It's in your mind. It's in your passions. It's in your affections. The second thing we struggle with, it's not just scarcity. It's motive, okay? Motive in giving. Uh, There's an internal struggle that we feel in various ways. Okay, Some Some of us, we feel guilty, Man, there are so many people, so many needs, so many causes, whether it's a flood in the South or a typhoon in China or um, uh, homeless people living uh, in our cities and in our communities, and we just feel so pulled in every direction. We feel guilty. We also feel um, inadequate, right? And so there's an internal struggle that we have. Others of us were maybe a little more cynical, And we're like, don't coerce me. Don't manipulate me. We're just really guarded. We're guarded when the church talks about money. We're guarded when other people or family members or friends want to talk about money. We're like, wait, what do you want from me, right? And so we get really sensitive to that, okay? Uh, We shouldn't give out of pity or on emotions alone. We don't want to give out of just sheer obligation. You know what? God doesn't want that either, okay? God doesn't want us to give out of guilt, 
God doesn't want us to give out of debt, okay? When we give to God, we're not giving as debtors, as if we're paying God back for all of the goodness and the grace and the love he's poured upon us, okay? We are not debtors to God. We are sons and daughters of God, okay? Ask any parent, right, unless it's like later in life. Uh, your children, right? If your children are like, let me pay you back, you're like, ah, whatever, right? It's like, it's a joke because they're going to pay you back with your money, right? So like, it, like, it, like my, I remember one time my brother and I, we bought my mom a gift card to uh, a department store and she got so mad at us, right? Because she knew that we were spending her money to give her, and she was like, oh, you know, like, she was like, it's not sentimental, it's not meaningful, you're just giving me my money back, right? And so, and, and yeah, and so we're like, oh, like, I never gave my mom a gift card after that, because I realized she hated it. Um, so we don't give out of, as debtors, we don't give out of obligation or pity or manipulation. God tells us very clearly in verse 7. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful, cheerful giver. Okay? I hope that if you are going to contribute to the generosity campaign, I hope that it's not because of my rhetoric. I hope it's not because uh, you know, you're like, oh, I guess everyone's doing it, $25, no big deal. I can just Venmo that, or I can easy tie that, or cut a quick check. I hope it's not that casual. I hope it's not that nonchalant and indifferent. I hope that we would take time to decide in our hearts with conviction, right? With faith, with joy, give to God for this purpose, okay? Um, this pastor named Larry Osborne, uh, he's a pastor of a church down in, in, uh, by San Diego. Uh, he just acknowledges the fact that there are just so many causes, so many needs. Think about all the missionaries, all the charities, all of the, the, the justice issues. And, and, and it seems like every, other, like every other day, like new things are popping up, new Kickstarters, new GoFundMes, and, and whatever it might be. Uh, Larry Osborne simply says this. There are a lot of causes without my name on it. Okay? Uh, there's always permission, guys, to say no. There's always permission to say no. Okay, just because somebody asks doesn't mean you are obligated to give to that person, that cause, that circumstance. Okay? We should follow the leading of God, the unction of the Spirit. We should decide in our hearts, not under compulsion, to give. Okay? And God wants us to give cheerfully and joyfully. So a lot of us struggle with inner motives. Sometimes it's okay to say no. Other times we just really need to, in faith, discern God's leading obey with joy and cheer. The third challenge is uh, generosity. Uh, the challenge to generosity is the fear of loss. Okay? It's the fear of loss. We're afraid that if we give our resources away, that we're going to lose out, that we're going to be disadvantaged, that we're not going to be able to enjoy the kind of comforts, privileges, and benefits that you and your spouse or you and your family, you've been working so hard for. I mean, think about this. 10% is a lot. It really is. If you give away 10% of your money to God, that means you're saving 10% less for your retirement. If you're giving away 10% of your resource to God faithfully, then maybe that means you, can, you have to buy 10% less house, right? If you're in that market, and this market is already fierce, this market is already overpriced, and you're competing with these all-cash buyers from Asia, and you're like, how am I going to compete? And, and I'm, only, I'm only at 90% punching power, right? And so we feel like we're going to lose out, right? 
or a lesser car or a lesser vacation, right? Or maybe we're like, oh, man, I can't afford the kind of education or, or, or privileges that I want for my kids if I'm going to give this amount of money each month to God and the church, and no one wants to disadvantage their kids. I know people who uh, make their money uh, on, in the stock market, okay? They, they, they are full-time investors, and I've had conversations with them, and they say, I struggle with monthly tithes, Pastor, Pastor Mike. I said, why? He's like, because I need that money to make more money right? I need that money to make more money because literally he takes his money, right? And he invests that and he needs that so that he can pull the trigger on different stocks and different opportunities. And if he, and if he gives 10% away each week and each month, then he's disadvantaged in the marketplace. And I was like, man, I'll pray for you. He's like, can I just tithe at the end of the year? And I was like, only you, right? I was like, only, only you. Don't tell everybody else because then we're not going to be able to ha- turn the lights on, right? You know, uh, if, you're, if you're trying to run a business, right, for, for, for God and, and, and reflect the kingdom values of Jesus, man, imagine taking 10% out of that, you know, 10% less research and development, 10% less for your marketing and promotion, 10% less for your staffing, 10% less in your own pocket. We are afraid that if we, if we live out of this generosity and commitment to God, that we're going to lose out. Paul says something about this, and this is where we must exercise faith in God's provision. In verse 8, this is what Paul writes. God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. In verse 11, he continues. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. What is God saying? God is saying that I will bless you so that you can be a blessing, right? Paul's writing in these huge, broad strokes, every situation, in all things, at all times, and what we have to ask ourselves really is, do we believe? Isn't it so much easier to sing our faith to God, to pray our faith to God, to nod our faith to God, than to actually put our resources our finances in God's hands, that is so, so difficult. But this is what God is calling us to. This is what Paul is challenging us unto. Do you believe in the sovereign provision of God in all things for you, for your family, so that you can be a blessing to others, so that you can be enriched in every way, to be generous in every way? Last year, I was part of a conference, a Christian conference called the Sola Conference, and what we try to do in a lot of our seminars and our breakouts is we really try to integrate the gospel and the Christian faith with life and work, okay, to really make it as relevant as possible. And one of our seminar speakers, uh, he's the, uh, the founder of Copa Vida, okay? If you guys don't know, Copa Vida is an amazing coffee shop in Pasadena. They have multiple locations, but their Pasadena one's the best, and... Um, and uh, we source our beans there. They're, they're not just a great coffee company. They're a Christian company. And his model is this. It's business as missions. He wants to be a kingdom company. And this is what he said. He said, if we want to be a truly Christian company, if we want to do business as mission, then we must begin with a different definition of what it means for us to be profitable and successful. 
He just acknowledged it at the top. We have to define success and profit using a different metric than what intelligentsia or blue bottle or whatever their competitors are using. There's a different definition of success and profit if he is going to be a Christian coffee company. He said we have to have the courage and conviction to handle God's money in God's manner. And I think this is so powerful and compelling for each of us as you work in your businesses, right, in your workplaces, in your communities. Would you consider that calling? Would that be compelling to you to handle God's money, God's resources in God's manner and to reconsider what does it mean for us to redefine success, redefine profitability, right, according to God's kingdom? Those are three challenges. I'm sure there's so many more. Um, we'll, we'll keep working through that uh, through the next week as well as we continue through this series. Finally, the expression of generosity. I need to end. You know what? Let's just end. Okay. Um, I think that's a good ending. That's, that's kind of, uh, yeah, we, we should end. All right. Um, we will pick up next week. And so next week, uh, we are, uh, next week, we're still continuing on this this, this struggle, this call, uh, this grace that God has given us to uh, be generous with all that we have. Uh, let's take a moment. Let's pray together. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you that you are Lord over all. We thank you that you are not just relegated to a small spiritual domain in a moment, and in a small place in our weeks, but God, that you are Lord over all. That your sovereignty has no limits, that it has no bounds, that in every inch of this world and in every moment of our lives, God, you are present and you are king. Father, we confess that we struggle with your lordship when it comes to our finances. We confess that we are all works in progress, trying to figure out what does it mean to to trust you with our resources. Lord, I pray that you would lead us in grace. I pray that your light would guide our steps. I pray that your Holy Spirit would would convict us. Your Holy Spirit would fill us with wisdom. Your Holy Spirit would, would encourage us and affirm us as we do some seeds faith of generosity towards others. Father, as we entrust our lives and our families into your hands, would you fill our hearts with abounding joy, with indescribable, ineffable joy. Would you satisfy our souls? We thank you in Jesus' name.